Welcome to the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette's inaugural edition of Speaking of Arkansas. I'm Greg Harton, the newspaper's editorial page editor. Our goal with this ongoing podcast is to talk with people involved in issues important to Arkansans, with some emphasis on Northwest Arkansas, where we're based. Visit nwaonline.com podcast to see when future episodes of Speaking of Arkansas or other podcasts are posted. You can also subscribe to the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette's podcasts in iTunes and Google Play. And speaking of inaugurals, we can't think of a better way to start this podcast than by speaking with the man Arkansas voters just sent back to the governor's mansion for his second term, which begins January 15th. Governor Asa Hutchinson is a former Northwest Arkansas congressman, former administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration, and former Undersecretary of Homeland Security. He was first elected governor in 2015. Governor, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great. Thank you for the invitation and for that uh, introduction. It gets me excited. All right. Uh, well, uh, I take it you've had some chance over the holidays to spend some time up here with family and friends? I did. Uh, what a great uh, New Year's kicking off uh, 2019. I was at my home in Rogers, and uh, my wife made uh, uh, the first lady made wonderful black-eyed peas, meatloaf, turnip greens, and rhubarb pie. Oh, my. <laughs> so that's how I started. Wow. Not a bad way to start. <laughs> we looked for black-eyed peas at our local store, and they were out. So I'm hoping for good luck anyway. Um, well, let's just jump right in. Uh, um, as, as we record this, you are, uh, I've announced the highway commissioner and, and, uh, tell us a little bit about that decision and, and, uh, who it is and, and what you hope to see the highway commissioner, uh, contribute. Well, uh, the highway commission is one of the most important, uh, uh appointments that I make, uh, and I take it very seriously and I know how important, uh, the, uh, infrastructure to, uh, investments that we make are, and the Highway Commission is independent, but I get to appoint the uh, commissioners, and so uh, that's uh, important for all of uh, Arkansas, and, and this appointment is replacing uh, Dickie Trammell, mm -hmm. and uh, we have, uh, as people recall, I appointed uh, Philip Taldo, uh, who represents uh, Northwest Arkansas on the Highway Commission. And this appointment, uh, today I'm announcing Keith Gibson uh, of Fort Smith uh, to be on the Highway Commission. He's a businessman. Uh, he's been involved with uh, the growth opportunities uh, uh, here in Arkansas, and uh, he understands the importance of infrastructure. Uh, he's been a longtime friend. I've known him for over 30 years, and so uh, this will be a good appointment, and Keith will do a good job, and it gives us a, a good balance across the state. We have now a highway commissioner north of the uh, tunnel, and we'll have a highway commissioner south of the tunnel as well, uh, all representing the old uh, 3rd Congressional District. So I think it's a good balance for uh, all of northwest Arkansas. The, uh, the shrinking uh, northwest uh, district or the third congressional district. Uh, That's why I said it was the old yeah, third district, yeah, the yeah. one I knew. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so tell us just a little bit while we're talking about highway commission, what you what you hope to see the highway commission do. It's um, over the it's it's a ten year term, right, for your new commissioner, um, and the highway commission is kind of struggling, I think, to figure out the funding issues for the future as as there's a decline in and revenue from gas taxes. Um, uh, 
a lot of things have been bandied about. What would you like to see the commission or the legislature do uh, in terms of the funding for a, a pretty big system of state highways? Well, it's one of the most critical issues that we face as we go into the uh, general session of the legislature uh, starting January 15th. Uh, and uh, I've asked uh, and indicated my support for a new highway funding plan. Uh, this is critically important, uh, particularly in growth areas such as Northwest Arkansas. Uh, whenever you see the congestion, when you see the growth, you see people coming in here, and you see local communities uh, uh, passing their own half-cent sales tax to support uh, street development and highway development. Uh, it's indicating there's a willingness and a recognition that we've got to invest more. As you pointed out, the uh, funding for our highways has uh, changed. Uh, it's, it's a uh, diminishing source of revenue uh, for our highways because we're getting uh, more cost-efficient cars and so a, a per gallon uh, tax uh, uh, you know, goes down because we're buying fewer gallons of, of gasoline. And so uh, even though we have had some short-term fixes that's put a significant amount of money uh, over the last couple of years uh, into the highway fund, they need to have a long-term solution. And so what do you do about that? I think there's a number of different ideas that are floating out there. We have not reached a consensus yet. I'm asking the legislature to uh, come together on that. So that's uh, one that remains to be seen. Uh, I do support uh, the concept that if we're going to have uh, new revenues, which means a new tax uh, or an extension of an old tax uh, for highway construction, that we put that to a vote of the people so they can say up or down on it. That's the fundamental part of democracy. Some of the legislature have a different view on that and say, well, we ought to just do it. So we'll see how that debate uh, progresses as we go into the session. Are there any proposals floating around out there that you just look at and say, uh, no dice, I'm, I'm not going to go for that? Um, I, I know there have been proposals in the past to, to give more general fund revenue to the Highway Commission, and I think you, you came out against that one proposal. Yeah, and it's not a theoretical problem, it's a practical problem that, uh, you know, we have put, um, was it $50 million a year of general revenue into our highways, uh, and I broke the precedent of the past that no general revenue goes there, and I said we needed to meet the federal match so that we can tap into a larger amount of money, and so we did that. But, you know, some of the ideas that float out there is that the, uh, you know, sales tax on tires and batteries and cars ought to go into uh, the highway fund. Uh, that would be a gargantuan uh, depletion of our general revenue. And that would hurt us in education. Uh, it, it, you can't make up that kind of money through growth. Uh, and so that's just not realistic. Now, you know, you don't want to say carte blanche across the board, uh, never, because there might be some uh, creative ways that you can uh, replace that revenue. But uh, I don't want to see a, a harm that comes to education. I don't want to see a harm that comes to public safety. We have a lot of responsibilities in the state, and so you have to look at some, some new revenue sources if you're going to have a new highway plan. Governor, if I could interject a question here. Um, 
the let, um, let me interrupt real oh. quick. I think I forgot to introduce you. A bad thing for my boss. Yeah. Um, Rusty Turner is the editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat, and he's joined us today to ask the governor some questions as well. All right. Well, thanks, Greg. Um, governor, I know you have to think statewide when it comes to highways, but uh, uh, our audience, I think, is going to uh, would would want to hear what your ideas are on some of the priorities uh, for for highway construction and maintenance in Northwest Arkansas. Um, we've recently uh, gotten the news that uh, that the Missouri section of, um, of uh, Interstate 49, or, or what will ultimately become Interstate 49, is going to be done. Uh, what do you see as some of the uh, more, more important um, uh, highway projects uh, coming down the pike in Northwest Arkansas? Well, I'll be back up here uh, later in the week for the uh, opening of part of Highway 265 extension. Uh, that uh, will be a good step forward uh, coming from uh, Gravit and uh, Bentonville. In my history, I'm thrilled with the uh, what we used to call the Bella Vista Bypass, but will now be an extension into Missouri and that we do have the funds available. It's, it's interesting that the whole Arkansas delegation, including myself, was lobbying Washington for money for Missouri. <laughs> but we were able to get that so we can now see that uh, uh, I-49 uh, extension around Bella Vista in Missouri completed. That is really, really great news. In terms of future priorities, uh, I'll just mention too, uh, and this really impacts the entire state, but uh, 412 across the northern tier uh, would mean so much to uh, our state in terms of cohesiveness, uh, bringing people together. If you could actually get to Jonesboro, uh, in northeast Arkansas without having to go through Conway and central Arkansas. Uh, and 412, we've made a lot of progress on uh, between here and Mountain Home, but we've got more work to do. And so 412 uh, extensions uh, is, is a priority. Uh, secondly, if you look at I-49, and that, uh, even though we've got uh, that completed between uh, northwest Arkansas, Bentonville, Rogers area, and Fort Smith, we need to extend uh, I-49 on further. And that helps us here because if you can ever have the completion of I-49 where you've got a straight shot from Kansas City uh, down to Louisiana, then that corridor uh, will explode even more. And so that helps us not just in the River Valley, but helps us in Northwest Arkansas. That uh, first part of that is a bridge uh, over the Arkansas River at the Barlane area, I-49 bridge. So that's important. Uh, when you get closer to home, uh, it's that traffic flow uh, on the main corridor of, I uh, of whenever you look at uh, 540 and we uh, uh, have to have additional lanes because of just the congestion. But I'm really proud of Northwest Arkansas is how they've invested uh, them at, and they haven't waited on the state, but the state needs to step up and have more funding available to help us here. Uh, let's touch on a couple of other Northwest Arkansas news items. You just recently went to the stump fire, if you want to call it that, an uh, underground fire in Bella Vista, and you committed a million dollars, I believe it was, from uh, state funds to help uh, extinguish that fire. Um, Help me to understand your thought process on that. Obviously, it's a an irritant to people who live up in that area, um, but it's it's on private property. Um, so how how does that work in terms of uh, the the public money going toward that, and is there a way to kind of recoup that? 
Well, that's a, a good question. Uh, first of all, I did not want to uh, take any action on it until I was actually uh, there. I got to see the site. Uh, clearly, uh, it is an emergency circumstances. And you're right, it doesn't impact uh, people all over Northwest Arkansas. There's a small subset of people that live in that area that it impacts, but uh, it, uh, you know, they're entitled to have a healthy air that they uh, breathe. Uh, their children are, should be able to play outside. Uh, when you have a daycare, the children shouldn't be confined inside because of the smoke outside. And so uh, there is a public responsibility uh, uh, to uh, look at this and say we need to do something for our citizens. It starts with a private um, error uh, whenever you have a uh, uh, disposal site that's not properly managed, it's not properly uh, uh, developed and uh, it's, it's burned and now it has subterranean fires that uh, can only be put out with a great expense. But we have to be able to, I mean if it was out in the desert somewhere, you just let it burn its way out. But it happens to be around people, and uh, people's lives uh, mean something, so we want to be able to take action. We do have a remediation fund that is set aside for this purpose, and there's $8 million in it. And uh, we did, uh, the, the first million dollars that you mentioned actually goes toward um, uh, some of the engineering work that has to be done to really determine uh, the scope of work uh, necessary to get the problem fixed, but the ultimate cost is estimated to be much larger, even uh, numbers of seven to ten million dollars. And uh, but we have a remediation fund that uh, is set aside for that purpose, recognizing we do have a responsibility. So we'll tap into that. We'll have to replenish it because there's a lot of sites around the state that have to be remediated. Uh, but we'll uh, taking the first steps. When I go back to Little Rock today, I'll sign the uh, proclamation declaring that emergency that allow us to cut through some uh, governmental red tape and get to move on that quicker. It will be a long process, I want to remind everybody. This is not something that you can get done in a month or two months. It's a long process to get that fixed. We will talk here in just a moment about legislative priorities. Uh, I wanted to touch base, uh, since it's, we're talking a little bit about Northwest Arkansas issues, there were two lawmakers in the November election who were defeated up here, uh, Charlie Collins and Jeff Williams, uh, one of Springdale, uh, uh, or Collins of Fayetteville and, and Jeff Williams of Springdale. Both of them have accepted jobs with state government now. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, there's always this kind of concern that that, that just doesn't feel right. Um, when when people who are elected to office then kind of parlay that into a, into a, um, a career or, or a, a, a full-time paying job. Um, I'm assuming that you've probably had those names run past you before they were hired, uh, uh, but that may be an incorrect assumption. But Well, I mean, if you go back in the uh, uh, BB administration, if you go back into uh, the Clinton administration, you'll find former lawmakers are often called upon for uh, uh, positions in state government. Mm -hmm. and now, why does that happen? Uh, you know, why did uh, uh, Governor Beebe uh, pick uh, Butch Calhoun to be head of the Department of Agriculture? He was a former legislator. 
Uh, well, because he has a tremendous amount of experience in that area, as well as uh, being able to work with the uh, legislative branch. Uh, so whenever I looked at some needs in state government, and my department heads did, uh, there's some talent out there. Uh, Charlie Collins has a master's degree in economics, and so he will be working as a budget analyst analyst uh, at the Department of Finance. I mean, what a what a better uh, uh, be able to tap into the resources of Charlie Collins, who has uh, has an educational background in economics, has worked in that field, experience in business, but then also one of the key. Uh, 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 legislators that dealt with tax policy. So I'm thrilled with Charlie Collins being able to uh, come on board. Uh, and when it comes to uh, Jeff Williams, he'll be working the Department of Human Services. And I remember Jeff uh, uh, working hard with the Marshallese uh, to give uh, pass legislation that would help them. Uh, that's a human service uh, initiative. It shows his interest in helping people and so I've got somebody that has a heart, who's got the education, uh, and is, uh, uh, has a good relationship with the legislature. Uh, that's ideal if I can get somebody of that skill level and uh, to be able to work in state government, that's a boost for us. Uh, you know, they're out of office. They're not elected anymore. They lost their election, and we recognize that. But uh, I'm thrilled to be able to have that talent and to tap into it uh, in the uh, executive branch of government. Okay. Uh, part of the reason why I ask about that is because they, they did run for re-election, and so it's been a fairly short turnaround between them losing the election and them their hiring. Um, sometimes you see some lawmakers who, who do some other things for a year or two, and then, they, then something comes along. You, you don't necessarily see a difference between those two situations. You know, when I was in Congress representing the 3rd Congressional District, the President of the United States asked me to leave Congress and go head up the DEA. Mm -hmm. He looked at me and said, uh, you know, he's been a former U.S. attorney, uh, he's been a federal prosecutor, he's got experience, and so he tapped me. Uh, you know, it's, it's talent. Uh, you know, we need good people. And, and it, the fact is that when people run for the legislature, uh, they have a heart for service. And so you combine that with their individual skills. Uh, you know, you, you didn't see me appoint uh, a, uh, a legislator uh, to head up the Economic Development Commission. Not that that would necessarily be wrong, but I recruited somebody for that, uh, actually from out of state, uh, Mike Preston, who's doing a good job. So you got to you look at each of these positions individually. There's 55,000 people that work in some branch of state government, and we've reduced those significantly, but. Uh, you know, we always have to look hard to recruit the talent. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to get those. If we had not grabbed them at this point, then uh, they would have probably uh, gone on to some other field. We'd have lost that talent and that ability to use them in uh, state government. Okay. Um, give people an, a little bit of an insight about your, your, what your daily involvement is when the legislature's in session. How are you working with the legislators do you see them in your office every day? Are you down in the hallways? Uh, how are you trying to influence what's happening down in the House and Senate? Well, uh, first of all, it is uh, all hands on deck. It is uh, a very intense time. Uh, you know, I'm, 
I love to get out in the state and uh, speak and to have town hall meetings, but during a legislative session, I don't accept very many invites uh, out away from Little Rock because uh, I need to, to be there to keep an eye on what's happening. Uh, we start off uh, you know, at a very early uh, staff meeting, getting ready for the legislative day. Sometimes their hearing starts uh, at 7.30 or 8 a.m. Uh, and so we like to meet before that, get organized for it. Uh, and then uh, we are constantly having to take positions on items of legislation that's being offered. And so uh, we're having to do our own independent views they don't necessarily consult with us in advance, so they'll file a piece of legislation, but then everybody else comes and wants the governor's position on it. So we're having to really uh, respond to a lot of different items of legislation. They come at you pretty fast and furious. And then we have our own agenda. And of course, I'm focusing on uh, increasing teacher pay uh, this year, part of our budget. Uh, I'm focusing on the transformation of state government, uh, which is, has broad support, but reducing uh, the agencies that report to me, my cabinet officials from 42 down to 15. Uh, that's uh, historic in concept, and so we're, you know, we'll be really uh, working that, calling in legislators to uh, make sure that we have the support and answer the questions that they might have. Uh, and then, uh, of course, our tax cut bill. And let me just uh, focus on that for a second. Uh, let me tell you, that is important in Northwest Arkansas. When you look at uh, at Walmart and Tyson's and the global companies that we have here, uh, the growing companies like, like George's and of course J.B. Hunt, a logistics company, they're having to recruit talent not just from Eureka Springs, but they're having to recruit talent from all over the globe. And so uh, whenever the, the talent looks at, well, do we want to come to Arkansas? One of the things they look at is our tax rate. And I've always said if we can get our tax rate down to 5% that we can compete with the other states that even have lower because we've got lower taxes when it comes to property taxes. Uh, and so my uh, tax plan to reduce the rate over the next four years to 5.9% will be a boost in the recruitment of talent uh, to Northwest Arkansas. And that's part of the growth agenda that's so important for our state. And so uh, I'll be meeting uh, back-to-back -back meetings with legislators during the session and my staff as we review legislation and pushing those key items that I think are important for the growth of our state. Okay. So when, Governor, we just talked about, you know, <coughs> increasing teacher pay um, uh, and, and then also tax cuts. So uh, obviously that's going to mean a reallocation of resources. So in, do you have any thoughts about uh, where those resources uh, that will help boost teacher pay may come from uh, and that that will also allow us to, to, to reduce income taxes on. Uh... And the answer is over the last four years we've uh, moved 65,000 people out of poverty up the income level and into work and whenever you have that kind of economic growth people working, uh, people paying taxes, a growing economy uh, solves problems and so uh, I've presented my balanced budget that does provide for uh, a significant increase in teacher pay. Uh, it increases investment in our community corrections uh, officers, uh, increases investment in drug courts and, and uh, so many other different programs, but it also lowers taxes. And we do that because we have growth 
uh, economic growth. We have additional funds that come in because more people are working. And, uh, and we're also putting money aside. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that uh, uh, we had a habit uh, through history of spending everything that comes in. Uh, you budget, you know, if your budget's $5 billion, you spend $5 billion. And uh, that's the way it's always been. But we st set up a long-term reserve fund. We, start, we set it up with uh, $100 million into it. And every month, every month, money goes into the long-term reserve fund. And that's, uh, we're budgeting like a family would, should budget, uh, which is some savings along the way. And so uh, I've presented a balanced budget that can do all of those things as well as lower those taxes. Now, uh, we've got to work with the General Assembly because they can make any adjustment that they want to make. And so we got to make sure that it's balanced at the end and that we meet those needs and, uh, and that we don't overspend in areas that we shouldn't. Um, the, hearing from groups out there that rely heavily on state funding, uh, social service agencies, those sorts of things, you, sometimes you, you hear comments from them that, that uh, tax cut equal reductions in services, uh, reductions in um, uh, the, the delivery of services to people who are most in need in the state. Um, do you buy that? Well, no, I don't buy it because, uh, in fact, uh, we have not reduced any spending on uh, Department of Human Services. Uh, we uh, have reduced the growth of it uh, because medical care expenses uh, do increase and we've slowed the growth of that, but we haven't reduced any. Now, let, let me spend a little time on that because you know, we've, we've, we said that we needed, we wanted to create, uh, I believe it was $830 million in savings over five years from our department, uh, from our Medicaid program. And so, you know, to accomplish those savings, we had to uh, make some rule changes. We had to do things more efficiently when we're uh, uh, not handling it well. You know, we're wasting money. And uh, we've been through a terrible uh, exercise in Arkansas of all of the corruption investigations uh, with Rusty Cranford, with, with John Woods, and with, uh, was it, Preferred uh, Family Medical uh, Company. Now, think about Preferred uh, Medical that was draining tens of millions of dollars out of the Medicaid system, funding their executives, and wasting the money. Where did all that start? It started with a Medicaid program that was out of control, that was not monitoring uh, the companies and the providers, and was not setting good reimbursement rates. Now, anytime you try to change it, you're gonna have people complain that you're cutting services, when in fact, we're trying to straighten out the Medicaid program so it's not subject to those kind of abuses. And it's always going to be a strain when you do it. It takes some courage of the legislators, but it's very important. And that's, that's what we're trying to straighten out so that we don't see that kind of waste again in the future. Um, speaking of Arkansas Works, uh, formerly the private option when it was created and it, and it evolved under you to Arkansas Works. Um, are, are you convinced that this the work requirement um, is that that the people being removed from the roles 
are legitimately people who just are not working, um, aren't doing what they are required to do, um, or or do you feel like that requirement, which um, it seems to me was was definitely a political reality that you kind of had to deal with to to keep Arkansas Works alive, um, that that some people are getting caught up in that that really need that coverage. I'm convinced it's the right thing to do. I think it's a, the right balance between a compassionate society that tries to meet the needs of people who are struggling in life uh, and balancing that with uh, responsibility. And uh, whenever you put in a work requirement, you want to make sure that uh, you you have the right balance, that you're not cutting people off that are trying to do the right thing. And so uh, you make it as easy as possible. Uh, it's, you know, you can comply with it. First of all, you have to be able-bodied. And so the people who come in and say, well, uh, I can't really work because I've got this illness. Well, that means you're medically frail and you're not subject to the work requirement or can get an exception from it. Uh, whenever uh, you know, somebody doesn't have the opportunity to work, maybe they don't have the educational skills, uh, then uh, this is an opportunity to get them better trained. Uh, or if they don't have either of those opportunities, you can be volunteering. I was talking to one company, and, most, and the vast majority of people that are subject to Arkansas Works simply want to work, and they want to have that opportunity, and they're striving for it. But uh, I was talking to uh, someone, and they, and they said that uh, when they give them a volunteer job to do, it's amazing how quick they can find a job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, and so all of that is uh, important. Uh, you've got to make the uh, compliance as easy as possible, and it's got some criticism. Well, maybe uh, you know, going on the internet's too difficult. Well, so we made the adjustments. You can go into the uh, DHS office. You can get assistance there, and, and the and the people who are on Medicaid are used to going to the DHS office. Uh, their use, if you're on food stamps, you have a work requirement there. This is very similar to the work requirement. Uh, for uh, food food stamps, uh, but then we even simplified it more and said you can you can address it with a, a telephone call and you can have assistance there, and so uh, the only thing we haven't done is to uh, do it by mail, uh, and you know whenever you look at the mail system, uh, people who want to work ought to be moving away from that anyway, <laughs> but. Uh, the mail system requires so many more people to handle it from a staff standpoint. Uh, and so we've tried to make it cost efficient, but also something that's workable for the individual recipients of it. And so I think it's a good balance, and uh, the, you know, the court's going to have to address it and to see whether we can stick with it, but I'm very hopeful that uh, that will uh, be upheld by the courts and that we'll be able to continue that. Um, let's talk just politics for a moment. The um, um, We haven't seen a significant shift in the representation in the House and the Senate, but we did have a couple of races up here I mentioned earlier where where Denise Garner um, defeated Mr. Collins and Megan Godfrey defeated Mr. Williams, which was a surprise um, uh, to me anyway. Um, um, do, do you kind of take a look at that? and Do you, do you see any uh, kind of political landscape issues on that or do you think those were just very specific instances of, uh, of change that people wanted? No, I think uh, you've got a uh, 
be mindful of that as uh, uh, demonstrating the competitive nature of uh, politics in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, you know, there were some other races that uh, were closer than what uh, you expected. Uh, and there were vigorous campaigns, even though the margin might have been different. So it was, you know, one, it was impacted by being a midterm election, uh, uh, you know, where the party in power always has challenges, but you had some very good candidates who were recruited on the Democrat side. Uh, every one of them was unique, uh, but uh, uh, I've met with those legislators and I have no uh, difficulty in working with them and know that we can get some good things done for Arkansas. But for the future, it shows the changing dynamics of uh, Northwest Arkansas. Think about, I, I watched Texas as well, and uh, everybody was looking at Texas in terms of uh, Beto O'Rourke and uh, how close that race was. But what I was watching was uh, Greg Abbott, the governor's race. Mm -hmm. And Greg Abbott didn't really have any competition. Uh, uh, in, in terms of a competitive race, but if you look at the final result, it was much closer than anybody anticipated, which shows, you know, the urban areas of Dallas and Austin, Austin's always been different, but Dallas and even Fort Worth and, uh, and, and Houston, all of those urban areas are changing uh, as people move into there. Well, Northwest Arkansas has some similar patterns. Uh, the politics in Northwest Arkansas is not what it was uh, 30 years ago. Uh, it's, it's shifted to the Republican side, but now it's shifting uh, even to a more competitive side as people move in here with very, very diverse backgrounds. So I think Northwest Arkansas in the future will be uh, uh, more competitive, and it's something that's good for the body politic. It just means that uh, candidates like myself or others, they better get in there and work and not take Northwest Arkansas for granted. Uh, kind of continuing on the legislative issues, what um, what do you kind of get a sense out there that is um, going to bubble up that maybe is not on anybody's radar at this point? Uh, you know, a lot of things get the headlines and all, but um, you know, there's 2,500, 3,000 bills I think that get filed. Um, are there any things that give you some concern or or that you hope to see that maybe you haven't heard anything about yet? <laughs> well, yeah, no doubt there will be, uh, and uh, you know you're going to have uh, legislators that will be fi filing uh, all different <coughs> kinds of bills. What I want to encourage them to do, and I'm going to be watchful on, is I don't want uh, bills that uh, add regula regulations to professional licensing. We're already a difficult state for uh, someone to uh, get a professional license in. Uh, we have too many regulations in that area. You have to have uh, some, but you don't want to overregulate. And, and uh, you know, for example, uh, there's uh, pawn shop owners. You know, do we want to license pawn shop owners? Uh, that's one of those hidden issues. And I'm just saying, let's 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 reverse that trend. I'd rather uh, open up our professions and. And, uh, you know, sure, there's a responsibility on the public then, you know, if is a pawnbroker licensed or not. Well, if you're going to a pawnbroker, check it out as to their credibility, uh, as to how they do business. You know, let the, there's a little bit of responsibility in the public uh, as well. So I want to really push back on overregulation of professions and businesses. Uh, 
you know, there's another trend, and that is um, what's the balance between having statewide rules and local rules? And uh, that comes into play everything from uh, prohibitions on sanctuary cities, uh, which I certainly don't want sanctuary cities in Arkansas, uh, to uh, what was it in Fayetteville a few years ago on civil rights issues. But you can go on down that path to a whole host of issues. One of them was minimum wage. Uh, we, uh, I believe, passed a law that said you're not going to have local minimum wage, we're going to have a statewide minimum wage. And that prohibits a, a local city from raising the minimum wage even higher. That's a constant tension as to uh, how much do you defer to local control uh, versus trying to have some uniformity in policy that helps businesses and individuals. And so that's what I, I want to watch as well. One of the things that uh, doesn't get the headline grabber, but I think it's uh, very important, is uh, our juvenile justice reform. Uh, in uh, years past, we have reformed our criminal justice system. We've got that more in a balance right now, and uh, those are adult offenders. But uh, you look at our juvenile uh, offenses, you might have a judge here in Benton or Washington County that will uh, sentence somebody, a 15-year-old, that commits a misdemeanor offense uh, and incarcerate them for uh, and send them to a youthful correctional facility down in Dermot uh, or in Mansfield. And uh, we want to be able to close a couple of those facilities. Uh, we want to have a, and part of the legislation will be a mandatory uniform assessment of, of the juveniles to try to determine exactly what they need. Uh, where's their problem area? What is the risk involved? And if they're low risk or, or not a risk, then let's provide services to them in our community versus incarcerating them far away from their community. So that's a fairly dramatic change, but it's so important to dealing with our youthful offenders, trying to get them back on the right path in life. Um, you, you talked a little bit about local control there. Um, that, that's definitely kind of an approach you've taken on the school safety, gun violence kind of kind of issue. Um, what do you feel like you've accomplished through your task force report and? Um, any steps that you've taken on that issue um, and and obviously you have opportunities coming up in the legislature uh, where I'm sure there will be some proposals related to that well how do you think that's going to play out in this session well the school safety commission that I uh, impaneled has done an extraordinary job they were not just law enforcement professionals but they were uh, educators that were involved, but also school counselors and mental health experts. Yeah, Tim, Tim Helder, our exactly. local, local he, sheriff. He did a very, very good job. And they kept the focus on uh, the safety of the children in schools. But a couple of good things came out of there, a lot of good things. Uh, first of all, it really focused attention on the issue. And I could see as I traveled around, uh, virtually every local school district was reviewing their security policies, what more they need to do, how they need to invest more, what changes they need to make. Um, uh, you know, we recommended, uh, uh, you know, each school have a, a security committee. And I saw in one school they were actually meeting. They just took a, the recommendation, said this is the right thing to do. 
uh, but we also focused on the counseling side of it. And right now, uh, we have a law that says, I believe it's uh, any school counselor is supposed to spend 75% of their time in direct counseling with students. Now, if you talk to any school counselor or school administrator, they say that's not happening. Uh, they're tied up with test taking, administrative work. And so we need to refocus uh, our school counseling effort really on direct counseling with students. And that was a strong recommendation that came out of the uh, task force. Uh, you've also seen uh, the recognition uh, after the Parkland shooting that you have to have layers of, shoot, of, of security in the schools. It's not just enough to have one a school resource officer with a firearm, he's got to be trained, he's got to take the right action, but you also, in case there's a failure there, what is your, your other measures of security? And so, uh, you know, uh, Bentonville set some really uh, high standards on that. I was, and they're cited as an example of layering security in our, in our report. Uh, but uh, the schools have moved toward uh, training of uh, commissioned uh, security officers in the school if you have a volunteer. I've always said teachers should never be made to carry a firearm. But we have uh, ex-law enforcement or ex-military that feel comfortable and they want to be able to provide that extra layer of security with training. So some of the schools have moved uh, in that direction as well knowing that just simply the school resource officers is not enough and we can't afford to have them deployed uh, in every school uh, venue. So a lot of recommendations. I believe there will be some uh, legislation that will support uh, the recommendations that came out of that uh, commission. Um, we've run out of time, but I, I, I wanted to ask one last question that's more perhaps philosophical. You've, you've had political highs, political lows, victories, defeats. Um, um, as, as you, you're, well, strangely enough, you're entering your final term as governor, which seems almost impossible to, to uh, uh, that that's already uh, here. But um, what, what, what do you say to people that, that go through life and, and have those ups and downs? Because you've, you've kind of had a lot of experiences along those uh, paths, some great successes and some other things that didn't work out the way you wanted to. Uh, how have you dealt with that? Well, I've used those experiences hopefully to encourage others. Uh, I love talking to students and, and they look at me and of course if somebody gives me an introduction they talk about me being in Congress and high positions administration, elected governor. The introductions never tell the students that I lost uh, three statewide political races. And I share that with them. And uh, I also say, uh, students, when do you think I wanted made the decision that I want to try to be governor and of course all of them think well in your teens or in your 20s now to try uh, in my 50s you know uh, that's when I first really said uh, I think I'd like to to try that and so I use it to encourage people but from uh, a personal standpoint uh, you know winning's better <laughs> I've enjoyed uh, the highs uh, but also, you can't be too hard on yourself uh, because in politics particularly, it's about timing, it's about uh, fighting the battle, it's about staying in the trenches. And, uh, and so, uh, I always kept that perspective in life. And also, you just can't 
overly depend upon uh, your work in public service. That's the will of the people. And so I've always enjoyed the private sector. I've spent a lot of time in it, although I've had high profile government positions. And so I think uh, the ups and downs in life gives you perspective and balance that's very important. And so you turn uh, those uh, challenges in life into positive things with mentoring people, but also uh, hopefully giving you a better perspective. Okay, well, thank you very much for your time, Governor. Good luck with everything in the session and, and in your coming term. Um, enjoy the inaugural events uh, uh, down there later this month, and, and we appreciate you being here. It's great to be with you. Thank you. All right, thank you, Governor.